Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Phil Boogie, and welcome to another episode of Isolation Be Like. How you guys doing out there? You hanging in? Uh, I'm doing okay. I... Teaching is weird because I'm not doing face-to-face. I'm also not doing Zoom. It's, it's asynchronous, so it's a lot of emails and texts. So far, it's been going well, um, but I do miss I do miss my students, um, so I'm looking forward to when I can see people's faces again sometime in maybe 2022. <laughs> you know, no rush, no need to rush it, but I am looking forward to it. So I was just thinking, um, I'm in the middle of a couple of projects and um, so here's the deal. Just, you know, when you're on social media, when you're seeing your friends at a homecoming and you're running into each other at like cocktail parties or events and, you know, um, you get these snapshots. Everything's okay. Everything's fine. You know, look at my shiny new car. Look at, you know, look at my babies, all that stuff. Look at my kids. They just graduated. They got scholarships, all that stuff, right? But we know there's more to life than that, that people are struggling. People have ups and downs and all of that. And that doesn't necessarily make for uh, a cute pic that you can put a filter on and put on Instagram. And one of those things for me over the years that has been my struggle has been, someone referred to it as uh, sort of, you know, the curse of being gifted in different ways. I've had a therapist tell me that. Uh, <laughs> I've actually had two, to be honest, if you include my husband. And I've had other friends mention it, just sort of how hard it is sometimes when um, you are gifted at things. Um, I literally went to a gifted and talented school for, for a short time and... Um, so the whole idea of people saying that to me who did not know that is interesting because it, it does resonate with me. I won't say things came to me easily or come to me easily, but I, I do have certain gifts. And um, because there were things that other people sh- struggled with, um, sometimes I didn't always appreciate the gifts because they seemed to come easy to me or I felt a sense of guilt around it or because my... My average, when it came to doing certain things, not all, don't put any numbers in front of me, but my average was was sometimes so much ahead of what some people had to really work to be able to do that it's like quicksand. Like I could never feel, I never felt like I was doing it the way that I could be or doing, I could be doing more because I always felt like um, um, I could, like I had the ability to take things to a different level and seeking this kind of perfection that is not, is not there. And it's a really bad cycle to be in. And I've gotten better about it as you do with age <laughs> and realizing um you need to refocus and think through some of your shit. But I make things harder than they should be sometimes. Or amazing things happen to me and I don't acknowledge it or I can't see it. I can't see it. I can't feel it. I can't see it. And I have to work really hard to be present in it. And then I'll see somebody else who would 
achieve something similar to what I've done and make a postcard about it, post it, make t-shirts. And I'm just like, oh, I've done that thing 10 times. It never occurred to me that that was a thing. You know, that was such a big deal. And I've had to learn to really key in to just respect the work that I'm doing, to appreciate it, um, to celebrate it, to push myself to try things that I'm not so good at um, and to work work through it. So, yeah. So I've been writing for a long time. Um, I pulled out a box recently and I had a box of scripts, articles, notes. And there's more than one box, but I pulled one out. Completed things, things that are mostly completed that no one's that no one's ever seen because they weren't finished. They weren't done enough, right? They weren't good enough by whatever standard that I'm using to measure myself. And I've been writing a bit about this, this, this thing, but being confronted with this box of stuff that I know has collected dust, a lot of it for 10, 15, some of it 20 something years, it's, it's really striking. And then knowing that a lot of people who are listening experience me as someone who is, who does produce content, who, who creates, who, who gives to the world work that he comes up with. And what I would say that what you see is a, is a fraction <laughs> of what I have and what I could do. And I've been changing it. I've probably been more productive. This podcast is evidence. So I'm literally recording a podcast in my car that people are listening to instead of making it a whole ordeal in the middle of a pandemic trying to get to a studio and to create a studio. I'm, I'm recording this thing when I can. Um, that is that is growth for me because what I would normally do is wait until I have this, you know, amazing setup and, you know, a studio space and I will spend a year doing all that, perfecting it and not be recording, not be writing, not be not be doing the actual work. Um, so this is growth. When I did my film, my documentary, I started it years before I actually finished it. And I started it and then it went away because I had told myself, like, I love what I was doing. I love the idea, but I didn't have the funds to do it the way that I wanted to do it. And I got trapped in this cycle of, this is Phil, this is me. So people are going to expect a certain thing. So I can't just have this thing shot on this camera or with this kind of sound. I need the crew and I need this. I'm talking about Black names. I'm talking about Searching for Shaniqua, my, my film. And I just got stuck. And literally, I think about a year and a half, maybe two years went by from the first time that I shot. And I knew I had a thing that could be special, that could resonate. And um, I decided I was going to shoot it myself. So I bought a new iPad. I had taken some kind of online course on how to shoot some something with your iPad by yourself. So I bought an iPod, a new iPad, tripod, camera, um, uh, lights for um, setup, backdrops. I bought all this stuff to create my own one-man band. And I went down to Hampton to shoot 
to do some interviews. And I did all the setup and I did all it took forever to do that. It was too much for me to do by myself. And I still just felt so isolated, right? Because it was still just me in my head. And what I knew deep inside was that I had already shot a documentary, one about the Underground Railroad years before. And those tapes are still sitting in a bag in my house. Um, I never edited it, never put it together. We traveled for seven to 10 days, a group of people. We took a trip along, you know, from Kentucky into Canada along the a route, Underground Railroad. It's beautiful. Never edited the, the project because um, that's the thing I have is completion, like finishing things because I tell myself stories like it can't be as good as I want it to be. It can't be as good as somebody else's, like whatever the story is, right? So... I felt myself going down that road with my documentary, Shaniqua, and I sat down with someone who ended up becoming a producer on a project. And at the time, she was not. Um, She was just somebody who was supporting me. And I said, here's the thing. I want to finish this project, but I don't know what to do. And she asked me, so what's missing? And I said, well, you know, I I need a new crew, right, who can do X, Y, and Z. I said, but... I want to be able to interview people like Condoleezza, you know, and Oprah right, to talk about their names, you know, and then that way they'll get this and that. And so I'm trying to figure out, you know, what kind of budget I need to be able to do that because that's what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. She took a deep breath and she said, so here's my question. Um, do you want to finish the film or do you want to wait until you have access to Condoleezza Rice to ask her about her name? And I said, I want to I wanna finish the film. She said, okay, well, let's finish the film. And then it, I shifted gears. We shot. It still took a while because life. And But we got it done. But then we, we, we went to a festival, Martha's Vineyard African American Film Fest. It was amazing. We went there. And... And I went with the expectation of like, this is just exciting to be in the room. Then we went there and we won. Um, we won. And I was excited. It actually propelled me to kind of, um, to move forward, just kind of to, to keep pushing on things. And then what happens for me is that I have that extreme high and I can't sustain it. And then I, I, right after that, it drops, right? Because in my head, I'm like, why didn't, why didn't HBO pick this up? It wasn't, it was an HBO award-winning film at the festival. Why didn't, it, why didn't he pick it up? And why can't I? Why is this agent not returning my phone call? Why and all that stuff? And then I was in the middle of life, like I was a foster parent, and that was taking ninety-eight percent of my, my time. So I just shifted gears back to that and just sort of consumed myself with that because that was the most important thing in my life at the time. And then that that wave just kind of takes that turn where it's back like, well, maybe that was a fluke, right? But when I really think about that, I have a lot of good flukes, right? You know, grants, festival wins, 
awards, all kind of stuff. All this stuff cannot be a fluke, right? And I know this, right? And this is not, I don't, you know, I'm talking through this right now because I think a lot of us are this way. Um, and I know how I am and I'm doing some great work and I'm doing some good things and I'm doing better now than I ever have, which is what is allowing me to talk about this. But, you know, I could look at all of that stuff that I have on my resume and still sometimes not as much now tell myself that it isn't enough or that I got lucky here or, you know, and I know that not to be true. So. Years ago, like, I'm going to say, what year was it? Like 2014. 2013, 2014. I had a blog that I used to write. And I've had a few blogs. I had one called Hampton. What was it? Anyway, had a blog. And that first year of it, it got nominated for some, it used to be called the Black Weblog Awards. And we got, um, we got nominated for one. I keep saying we, it was just me and my my Dell laptop, but I got nominated uh, for best personal blog. I didn't win. Um, it was like 2000, I'm going to say 2008 or so. And it was a big deal. But then I proceeded to watch people get all these deals with magazines and get their columns picked up. And then they were dropping their blogs and becoming, you know, journalists in different ways. And I was not, um, I was like, eh. You know, I'm going to put that aside. Then I, I created two or three more diff, um, different blogs. One was about film. And I did that for a while. People loved it. And then I let it go. And then I just started to write short essays for a while. And I was doing it infrequently. Um, and like 10 people read them. But I wrote a piece some years ago about the butler. And it wasn't really about the butler, the film. But it was about my feeling, my desire to see certain kinds of stories that I think at that time we were not seeing um, with Black characters. And I talked about how I just, um, I was tired of watching Servitude and that the film on short was great, but I just, I was fantasizing about the kind of movies that I would love to see. Um, And then for whatever reason, that, that blog got about 10,000, 15,000 hits. And people started sharing it on Twitter. And I wasn't prepared for any of that. You know, like I wasn't ready to capitalize on any of that. I was just sitting there like, what the hell is going on? So it was very exciting. And then that lasts about three days and then it's over, right? But maybe about a month or two later, I got a phone call. Uh, no, I didn't get a phone call. I got an email from... And a, a woman, New York, telling me she was an agent and that she had been reading my blog for some time. And she really appreciated that the post that I had written um, about movies, black film, and that she wanted to meet me if I would want to come to New York and talk about my writing. So I get that. And my first thought is, this can't be real. Because <laughs> if you remember what I said earlier, it's just like, you know, I think things are a fluke or a mistake. And so I was like, uh, this is a setup. So I didn't immediately respond. Like, I didn't respond. Like, I didn't do what people do. Like, oh, my God, 
an agent in New York wants to talk to me, I didn't do that. I went like, who would, who's calling me from New York? Like I, I did the whole thing. So I called my friend and not even about that. I called my friend just to talk because I was taking a long road trip and talking to my buddy, Kenyatta. And in the middle of the conversation, I said, oh yeah, and I got this email and I told him about the email. And he said, what was the agent's name? And I tell him, and he's like, stop what you're doing. And, and you need to write back right now. And he explained to me that this agent was a big deal. I had no clue. I didn't even bother to Google. So I Googled after that conversation. I pulled over. I was, I pulled over. Like I got off the highway. I pulled over. I I looked up the person and realized that it was indeed a real thing. This wasn't just somebody wasting my time or, you know, spam. And I wrote the agent back. Um, a couple of months later, I was in New York, had a great meeting. The agent said some amazing things about my writing, um, told me how good I was, told me how what my voice um, sounded like to her, told me how I resonated and um, that she thought that I had a book that I could write and that um, and that she want, wanted to work with me on that. So that was 2014. So I leave New York and I'm like, whoa, like that, that was really, that was huge. That's what everybody wants you write. That someone called you to the big city. I was living in, um, I was at Hampton at the time teaching. Calls you up to the big city to tell you that they want to work with you on a book. And then I don't know if I made it back to Hampton or how long that glow lasted, but immediately I went into <sighs> imposter syndrome kind of stuff, you know, where like everyone sees this thing, but, you know, in real life, I'm the the Wizard of Oz, like just kind of tinkering around in this empty shell and it's not real. And I just, I tried to fight it, but I got there. And I can normally claw myself out of that in some time, but I didn't. So instead of going home and really, I mean, I did work. I read the authors that the agent told me that she um, that I reminded her of. I knew some of them and others I did not know. I read those writers and I could I could see what she was talking about. And I began to carve out the kind of book that I wanted to write with the intention of getting her something within months. But months pass and nothing. Except for a couple of emails. I sent an essay that I had published and she loved it and said, okay, ready for the book. And then like a year passed, I sent an email saying, hey, still working on it. She was like, when you're ready. And then another year passed and I sent an update. Hey, how you doing? You know, she was like, yep. I'm fine. I remember you when you're ready. And then um, this past July, a smooth six years later, after finishing writing my book in November and then finally in July pulling together this proposal, 
to be sent out to publishers. Oh, and I also do a thing and where I don't I don't always take the straight route, like the the direct route. So I finished the book proposal in July that I've been working on. And I know this agent, even though it's been six years, maybe she'll still take a look. She says she would. And it's who I want. It's who I want at this point, right? You know, I recognize that I was frightened. Like, it was just like had gotten too close to the sun and I just, it scared me, right? And I wasn't, am not scared anymore. And I wanted to reach out to that person. But my first thought was, let me do a spreadsheet. Um, Go online and do a list of agents, find contacts, send out pitches. That's a whole process. You're gonna get rejected by everybody. It's a whole thing. When I have this agent sitting right there who, I mean, granted, it was six years ago, said, I want to read what you have. So I stayed up one night creating a spreadsheet and I'm going online and I'm trying to think, you know, I'm telling myself there's no way she's going to read this thing six years later. Um, Because, right, who would, why would she? So I started down that road and I caught myself and I said, you're doing it again. And then I wrote an email to... Um, the agent and said hey I'm done um, and I'm I'm ready I'm ready now you know and that next day I got a return um, email saying glad to hear from you let's talk tomorrow like there was no delay And it was such an important moment for me because I could have easily talked myself out of reaching out to this person because it had been six years and beat myself up about not being as responsive as I should have been and not moving as quickly. But instead, I decided to think of it as me being right on time in this in this particular instance and moving exactly when I'm supposed to. And not making it harder than it need to be. Sure, she could she could have said no, and then I can have gone to my spreadsheet and figured something out. But I have to get the no first, right? But I didn't get a no. Um, I got a let's talk, and now we're working together, and we're putting this thing together, and we're 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 making it happen, right? And it is it, brought up all those lessons around. You know, I think things happen exactly when they're supposed to. And I also think there's a way that I have gotten in my own way. There are ways in which I've gotten in my own way. And I I think both of those things can be true, right? <laughs> and it's, it, it's great for me now to be able to look back years later at things that I've done. I mean, when I graduated film school, I got an email from... Um, one of Sandra Bullock's producing partners wanting to read a script that I had written in film school. It was about eight months after I graduated, if that. I'm working as a low-level executive at a marketing agency. I get this email from um, this person. I'm not going to say the person's name. And they want to read this script. One of the things they told us at AFI um, when when I was in film school was, be ready 
Um, we're going to put together this catalog that lists all your projects. And if sometimes people call and they want to meet you, you have to be ready, right? Don't make them wait. So I knew the game and I get this email and I had a completed script, but it was Sandra Bullock. And I knew the producer's name too. I was familiar with because I look at credits. I knew the producer. Um, I responded. I said, I can have a script to you. I just, I'm just doing some quick polishes and I said, a quick polish. Basically, you know, typos and quick, quick corrections. But when I went back into the script to do the minor touch up, my brain went, there's no way I can send this to Sandra Bullock like this. This is my moment. And I tore the whole script apart and began a huge rewrite that I finished six to eight months later. And of course, when I responded back, I never heard back from them again. I still have the email somewhere in the box. I printed it. Um, it was on my Hotmail account, which I don't have anymore, I think. But like, I, I have a printout of that email. And every once in a while, I would pull it out to torture myself. But something was happening in my head, right? I could have sent that script the way it was. They could have wrote me a check and we could have rewrote it while I was um, um, drinking champagne and eating strawberries dipped in, in chocolate. I, we could have done... We could have done that, but I got him out. I got him out. I got him my own way. Again, life is what it is. It's a Plinko board and all those things get me here in this driveway with my husband, with the kids that I have now. So you can't change one thing. You don't have the life. And that's not the point of what I'm saying is like, and still there's a way not to, to feel that feeling of being an imposter. Around that same time, I got an email from this guy who worked, had just come out of the mailroom at Brillstein Gray, an agency, and wanted to read my work. And again, I did the same shit. I, I waited a long time. And then one day I was reading the trades years later. And this person was running the TV department there. I was one of the first phone calls he made. Now, I know people are listening just like, <laughs> and you're right. Damn, you fucked up. <laughs> and maybe maybe that's true. Maybe nothing would have come of it or maybe any number of things could have come of it. Like anything could have happened. And again, it's not really regret. It's just reflection. I am learning that it isn't really about how good I am at a thing. Because I think I, 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 think I know that I am good at things, right? I think I had to learn how to be okay with um, being good at it and doing a thing for the sake of doing it and not placing all these expectations on the thing. Because when you're just doing the work, things come to you, right? In this last couple of years, I, I've seen that be the case, right? Do the work, build authentic relationships, um, and, and, and the world moves the way it's supposed to, and it may not look like, um, what you imagine, or maybe you didn't have any idea what it looked like, but you, you can feel the world. You can feel, you can feel your movement happening the way that it's supposed to. And I'm grateful that I've made it here where I can still have my moments where I'm still a little bit uncertain, but know that I can pull myself out of that 
and send the email to the agent and then believe that I have work that is valuable and that also whatever's going to happen is going to happen and that who I am as a person doesn't hinge on somebody else's um, opinion of the work. It feels good to be here and you don't have to plan everything, right? You don't have to make everything happen. Just do your thing. You know, I've been working on my one man show and in my fantasy, my vision board, I don't really have one, but the equivalent just in my fantasy, you know, I want to be on Broadway. I want to do the show in New York. Um, I want to travel, all of that. So I told myself, you know, going to do the show locally here, Maryland, Baltimore, got funded to do the work here. Some doors open in D.C. as well. Going to do the show in D.C. And in my head, there were some producers. There's a, you know, organization that I really wanted to work with. Some producers. And I said, if we do all these things, if I can make these things happen, I'll be able to show that I can get it done. Then maybe I'll be able to go to to these producers and say to them, hey, I've done all this work. You already know what I can do on stage. Maybe there's a way we can work together and that can happen like in a year from now. Had a plan. But I was at home minding my business about a month ago, not even thinking about the solo show because we can't, well, I am thinking about it, but not in the same way because we can't have an audience. So I was reframing it to do it a, a different kind of way. And I got an I, I got an email from the producers who I wanted to work with and who I was going to maybe have a call with when I when I was able to execute you know, the show that I had gotten funding for and to say, hey, I can do this thing and see, look what I can do. And, um, you know, I love your work and you like my work. Let's. You know, I was prepared to do all of that because that's how that's how it works. Right. You know, but I got an email out the blue minding my business and they said, hey, we love to work with you. Let's talk about how we can work together on this show. I couldn't believe it. Right. But when I sat down and really processed it, this thing that I wanted, manifested. It didn't manifest before, because of maneuvering or having to consciously prove anything. It manifested because I am doing the work. I'm doing the work, right? And that's for all of us, not even if you're just in art, just if you're just doing, um, just do what you're supposed to be doing. Do, do your part. I wasted a lot of time in my 20s in LA trying to be seen if I could trade 50% of the time that I was using to trying to be seen and use that time at my laptop writing or on stage somewhere, I would have been better off, right? I remember this one particular time I, I had written a television pilot with a friend and there were some people going to be at a party and I might have been 30 at the time, maybe, but I was still skinny, <laughs> uh, cute, single, um, and flitting about LA. I'm doing my thing. 
And I got invited to this party and I knew the people who were going to be there could help. So I'm at the party and everyone's in the pool. I didn't bring swim trunks, but the people who I want to talk to are in the damn hot tub. So I borrow some swim trunks. They had a um, a little shed. or I don't know what it's called because I've never had a pool in my house, but a pool house. Is that what it's called? <laughs> oh my God, I'm from Newark. Um, so I go to the pool house. They're spare shorts. Imagine a world where you could do that and not think about a deadly virus, like, you know, wiping you out for touching something that somebody else may have touched. But like there were shorts there. I didn't think twice about it. I assumed they were clean because, you know, whatever they were, they were in a drawer folded. So I took, put on a pair of shorts and I had never in my life been in a hot tub ever. It just never was something that I thought I wanted to do to get into like a pot of soup. I just never, it just never occurred to me to just, to boil myself. But the producer who I wanted to talk to, who I just gotten a deal was in that damn hot tub. So um, Phil Boogie slipped his black ass right inside that um, hot tub. And I talked and giggled and we had a great conversation. It was great. I'm invited and I'm there with everybody else. So it's not like I'm an outsider and they're, Exchanged information, did all this stuff. And then a week later, did some meetings that led to me not getting what I wanted, but then getting this other opportunity that was a dead end. But I spent most of that time that night not really concerned with about my writing, but concerned with who I could meet, which is part of the business, but just like, when I think about that night, getting up in that hot tub, just to pretend like I was happy, like I happened to be in the hot tub with that person. And then, oh my goodness, yeah, so I have this, oh yeah, we should talk, like, so fucking fake. So fake. So fake. Yeah. But there was a lot of that. Standing around and lingering places. Um waiting for someone to notice. Uh, Yeah. Just waste. I mean, that stuff's important, you know, to a degree. But I've worked more as a writer since leaving. Now, great training. That experience in L.A., um, I learned the business. I had a ball. Can't beat it on a job training, even with the failure, right? I even did a, let me tell you, I even did a gospel play. And if you know me, mm, I don't even know how I met these people, but I got invited to participate. I, I don't, it was some kind of gospel play at a theater that has been renovated now um, in Los Angeles, but it wasn't renovated then. It was, it was, basically condemned, but it was a nice theater um, in terms of like it had been um, well made and constructed and was beautiful looking, but not kept up. And there was this guy who just put on these plays, kind of like Tyler Perry, but not at that level, but would sell out this theater all the time. And one of the people who was producing was also best friends with a major producer who had several TV shows on the air. So 
Somehow I got affiliated. Oh, I do remember. I was working in marketing. They needed me for something because I was representing brands and they needed those brands for their particular projects. You know, where I was working was an incredibly white space. So whenever black producers or black talent came in, I was the only other at a certain point. I might have been there might have been one other, but there weren't many black executives. So I always went to the meetings. That's how we met. They were working on a project, a film. And then when we got in the elevator, they slipped me their number like, hey, let's talk on the side. So that's how we met. OK, that was going to bother me. So we met that way. We stayed in touch and then I got invited to help work on this play. And I'm not going to name the play, but it was just every gospel play with bad wigs and all the stuff that you've ever seen. And if you know me, you know, I was dying inside having to deal. And I tried to like rewrite the script and talk about character and development and no one was no one was interested. Um, so it was just, it was just, it was bad. And I knew it was bad. And I hung around doing it because I had made the commitment and I was going to finish it. And a couple of people I know got involved in it because I was involved in it. Um, so I felt like I had to ride, ride um, with the wave with them. But then I also was like, well, shit, I'm already this deep in. I'm going to get my meetings with the network because I'm working with these producers. And I wasted months of my life on this thing that I didn't believe in. Working on this play that I didn't believe in, didn't like um, to get next to somebody who could open a door at a network. And um, we got the meeting at the network. But it wasn't a real meeting. It was, it was like, sure, we'll come see us. You know, I mean, it was real, but and nothing happened at the end of that meeting. And I remember just feeling just like always that feeling of this close. I'm sitting right here at the network with somebody who could totally get a show made. And why is this not happening? I have this great pilot, and but looking back, and even not just, I spent a lot of time working it, if that makes any sense, but not working, right? And it wasn't all that for me. I mean, I went to film school. I worked my ass off. I did all the good stuff. But at the same time, it was just like learning that balance of just like focusing on the thing that you do and letting that lead you to where you need to be. And I think I honed my craft and I develop my belief that this could be something that I could do while I was in LA. But I think when I had to move back East because my, my father got sick um, and I left LA after being there for a long time. Um, and I thought I wasn't going to be able to continue and do the work that I wanted to do. But I think in leaving, I appreciated um, writing differently and spending time on the craft and then getting the opportunity to shoot or to perform was more meaningful. And when you live in a place where the entertainment industry isn't, there's no one to get to know, right? So you can focus differently. And I have been 
in terms of getting work done and seem more successful away from that space than I was when I was in it and still having to work through sort of my own imposter stuff about like, you know, um, this is for me, right? Um, this is what I am good at. I do deserve this. I am not an imposter. And I don't always get what I want, right? You don't always get what you want when you want it. And that's that's just, it's not only is it okay, um, it's necessary, and sometimes it's hard to deal with. But it doesn't mean that I don't belong in this space. And it just took time for me to get here. And some of us and some of you listening are still struggling through that. Where do I belong? Where do I fit? Am I good enough? This Am I supposed to be here? And is this real? It is. It is. We got to stop telling ourselves these stories because they're just stories. They're not, they live in your head and not anybody else's. Um, so focus, um, believe, do the work um, and let that lead. I'm saying it out loud because I need to say it to myself every once in a while to just do the work. When I do the work, there's movement. And that movement might just be inside of me, my feeling about what I'm doing. And when you're feeling good and you're feeling confident and you're feeling like you're moving in your purpose and other people see that and they move with you and it helps um, everybody, right? Because you're maybe igniting something in them as well that helps them move. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an exchange of energy um, is what I believe. So... All right, this went on for a while, but hopefully we got something out of it. So I'll talk to you soon. Um, stay safe, stay sane, wash your hands. And um, yeah, good talking. All right, peace.